The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, continuing the story of The Hobbit. Chapter 3. The Ring Goes South. Later that day, the hobbits held a meeting of their own in Bilbo's room. Merry and Pippin were indignant when they, had, when they heard that Sam had crept into the council and had been chosen as Frodo's companion. It's most unfair, said Pippin. Instead of throwing him out and clapping him in chains, Elrond goes and rewards him for his cheek. Rewards, said Frodo. I can't imagine a more severe punishment. You are not thinking what you are saying. Condemned to go on this hopeless journey? A reward? Yesterday I dreamed that my task was done and I could rest here a long while, perhaps for good. I don't wonder, said Mary, and I wish you could. We are en but we are envying Sam, not you. If you have to go, then there will be a punishment for any of us to be left behind, even in Rivendell. We have come a long way with you and been through some stiff times. We want to go on. That's what I meant, said Pippin. We hobbits ought to stick together, and we will. I shall go, unless they chain me up. There must be someone with intelligence in the party. Then you shall certainly will not be chosen, Peregrine took, said Gandalf, through the look, through, looking in through the window, which was near the ground. But you are all worrying yourselves unnecessarily. Nothing is decided yet. Nothing decided, cried Pippin. Then what were you all doing? You were shut up for hours. Talking, said Bilbo. There was a deal of great talk, and everyone had an eye-opener, even old Gandalf. I think Legolas's bit of news about Gollum caught even him off him on the hop, though he passed it off. You were wrong, said Gandalf. You were inattentive. I had I already heard of it from Gwai here. If you want to know, the only real eye-openers, as you put it, were you and Frodo, and I was the only one that was not surprised. Well, anyway, said Bilbo, nothing was decided beyond choosing poor Frodo and Sam. I was afraid all the time that it might come to that if I was left, let off. But if you ask me, Elrond will set out a fair number for it to come in. Have they started yet, Gandalf? Yes, said the wizard. Some of the scouts have been sent out already. More will go tomorrow. Elrond is sending elves, and they will get in touch with the rangers, and maybe with Thorinduil's folk in Mirkwood. And Aragorn has gone with the uh, Elrond sons. We shall have to scour the lands all around for many long leagues before any move is made. So cheer up, Frodo. You'll probably make quite a long stay here. Ah, said Sam gloomy. gloomily. We'll just wait long enough for winter to come. That can't be helped, said Bilbo. It's your fault, partly, Frodo, my lad, insisting on waiting on, for my birthday. A funny way of honoring it, I can't help thinking. Not the day I should have chosen for letting the S and B's into Bag End. But there it is. You can't wait now till spring, and you can't go till the reports come back. When winter first begins to bite, and stones crack in the frosty night, when pools are black and trees are bare, tis evil in the wild to fare. But that, I am afraid, will be just your luck. I'm afraid it will, said Gandalf. We can't start until we have found out, found out about the riders. I thought they were all destroyed in the flood, said Mary. You cannot destroy ring race like that, said Gandalf. The power of their master is in them, and they stand or fall by him. We hope that they were all unhorsed and unmasked, and so made for a while less dangerous. But we must find for certain. 
In the meantime, you should try and forget your troubles, Frodo. I do not know if I can do something to help you, but I'll whisper this in your ears. Someone said that intelligence would be needed in the party. He was right. I think I shall come with you. So great was Frodo's delight at this announcement that Gandalf left the window sill where he had been sitting and took off his hat and bowed. I only said I think I shall come. Do not count anything yet. In this matter, Elrond will have much to say, and your friend the Strider. Which reminds me, I want to see Elrond. I must be off. How long do you think I shall have here? said Frodo to Bilbo when Gandalf had gone. Oh, I don't know. I can't count days in Rivendell, said Bilbo. But quite long, I should think. We have many We have many a good talk. What about helping me with my book and making a start on the next? Have you thought of an ending? Yes, several, and all are dark and unpleasant, said Frodo. Oh, that won't do, said Bilbo. Books ought to have good endings. How would this do? And they all settled down and lived together happily ever after. It will do well if it ever comes to that, said Frodo. Ah, said Sam, and where will they live? That's what I often wonder. For a while, the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and of the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The, the future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have any power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each good day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and in every word and song. So the days slipped away as each morning dawned bright and fair, and each evening followed cool and clear. But autumn was waning fast. Slowly the golden light faded to pale silver, and the lingering leaves fell from the naked trees. A wind began to blow chill from the misty mountains to the east. The hunter's moon waxed round in the night sky and put to flight all the lesser stars. Below in the south, one star shone red. Every night as the moon waned again, it shone brighter and brighter. Frodo could see it from his window, deep in the heavens, burning like a watchful eye that glared above the trees on the brink of the valley. The hobbits had been nearly two months in the house of Elrond, and November had gone by with the last shreds of autumn, and December was passing when the Scots began to return. Some had gone north, beyond the springs of the Horwell into the Eton Moors, and others had gone west and with the help of Aragorn and the rangers, had searched the lands far down the Greyfoot, as far as Tharbad, where the Old North Road crossed the river by a ruined town. Many had gone east and south, and some of these had crossed the mountains and entered Mirkwood, while others had climbed the pass at the sources of the Gladden River, and had come down into Wilderland and over the Gladden Fields, and so at length had reached the old home of Radagast at Rosogabel. Radagast was not there, and they had returned over the high pass that was called the Redhorn Gate. The sons of Elrond, Eladan, and Ulrahir, were the last to return. They, made, they had made a great journey, passing down the Silver Lode into a strange country, but of their errand they would not speak to any save to Elrond. In no region had the messengers discovered any signs or tidings of the riders or servants of the enemy. Even from the eagles of the misty mountains, they had no fresh news. Nothing had been seen or heard of Gollum, but the wild wolves were still gathering and were hunting again far up the great river. 
Three of the black horses had been found at once, drowned in the flooded ford. On the rocks of the rapids below, it searches, it searches dis discovered the bodies of five more, and also a long black cloak, slashed and tattered. Of the pile of bright black riders, no other trace was to be seen, and nowhere was their presence to be felt. It seemed they had vanished from the north. Eight out of the nine are are counted for at least said gandalf it is rash to be too sure yet i think we that we ha may have hope now that the ringwraiths were scattered and have been obliged to return as best they could to their master and mordor empty and shapeless if that is so it will be some time before they can begin the hunt again of course the en the enemy has other servants but they will have to journey all the way to the borders of rivendell before they can pick up our trail and if we are careful, that will be hard to find. We must delay no longer. Elrond summoned the hobbits to him. He looked gravely at Frodo. The time has come, he said. If the ring is to set out, it must go soon. But those who go with, go with it must not count on their errand being aided by war or force. They must pass into the domain of the enemy far from aid. Do you still want to hold to your word, Frodo? that you will be the ring-bearer? I do, said Frodo. I will go with Sam. And I can I cannot help you much, not even with counsel, said Elrond. I can foresee very little of your road, and how your task is to be achieved I do not know. The shadow has crept now to the feet of the mountains, and draws nigh even to the borders of the Grey Flood, and under the shadow all is dark to me. You will meet many foes, some open and some dis disguised, and you may find friends upon your way when you least look for it. I will send out messages, such as I can contrive, to those whom I know in the world, but so perilous are the lands now become that some may well miscarry, or come no quicker than you yourself. And I will choose your companions to go with you, as far as they will or fortune, fortune allows. The number must be few, since your hope is in speed and secrecy. Had I a host of elves in armor of the elder days, it would avail little, save to arouse the power of Mordor. The company of the ring shall be nine, and the nine walkers shall be set against the nine riders that are evil. With you and your faithful servant Gandalf will go, for this shall be his great task, and maybe the end of his labors. For the rest, they shall represent the other free people, free peoples, peoples of the world. Elves, dwarves, and men. Legolas shall be for the elves, and Gimli, son of Gloin, for the dwarves. They are willing to go at least to the passes of the mountains, and maybe beyond. For men you shall have Argon, son of Arathorn, for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Strider, yes, Fro cried Frodo. Yes, he said with a smile. I ask leave once to again to be your companion frodo i would have begged you to come said frodo only i thought you were going to minas Tirith with bormir i am said aragorn and the sword that was broken shall be reforged ere i set out to war for your road and our road lie together for many hundreds of miles therefore bormir will also be in the company he is a valiant man these there remain two more to be found said elrond these I will consider. Of my household, I may find some that it seems good to me, good to me to send. 
But that will leave no place for us, cried Pippin in dismay. We don't want to be left behind. We want to go with Frodo. That is because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead, said Elrond. Neither does Frodo, said Gandalf, unexpectedly, supporting Pippin. Nor do any of us see clearly. It is true that if these hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare to go. But they would have, but they would still wish to go, or wish that they dared, and be shamed and unhappy. Elrond, that in this matter it would be well to trust rather to their friendship than to great wisdom even if you choose for us an elf lord such as Glorfindel, he could not storm the dark tower nor open the road to the fire by the power that is in him you speak gravely said elrond but i am in doubt the shire i forebode is not is not free now from peril and these two i had thought to send back their messengers to do what they could according to, fa to the fashion of their country to warn people of their danger in any case the judge that the younger of these two peregrine took should remain my heart is against his going then master elrond you have to lock me in prison or send me home tied in the sack said pippin for otherwise i shall follow the company let it be then let it be so then you shall go said elrond and he sighed now the tale of the nine is filled filled in seven days the company must depart the sword of elendil was forged anew by elvish smiths and on its bade was chased a device of seven stars set between the crescent moon and the rayed sun and about them was written much met many runes for aragorn son of arathorn was going to war upon the marches of mordor very bright was that sword when it was made whole again the light of the sun shone redly in it and the light of the moon shone cold and its edge was hard and keen and aragorn gave it a new name and called it andril flame of the west aragorn and gandalf walked together or sat speaking of their road and their perils they would meet and they pondered the storied and figured maps and books of lore that were in the house of elrond sometimes frodo was with them but he was content to lean on their guidance and he spent as much time as he could with bilbo in those last days the hobbits sat together in the evening in the hall of fire and there among many tales they heard told in full the lay of baron the luthien and the winning of the great jewel but in the day while mary and pippin were out and about frodo and sam were to be found with bilbo in his own small room then Bilbo would read passages from his books, which still seemed very incomplete, or scraps of his verses, or take notes of Frodo's adventures. On the morning of the last day, Frodo was alone with Bilbo, and the old hobbit pulled out from under his bed a wooden box. He lifted the lid and fumbled inside. Here is your sword, he said. It was broken, you know. I took it to keep it safe, but I've forgotten to ask if the smiths could mend it. No time now. So I thought, perhaps you would care to have this, don't you know? He took from the box a small sword and an old shabby leathern scabbard. Then he drew it, and his polished and well-tended blade glittered suddenly, cold and bright. This is Sting, he said, and thrust it with little effort deep into a wooden beam. Take it if you like. I shan't want it again, I expect. Frodo expect accepted it gratefully. Also, there's this said bilbo bringing out a parcel which 
which seemed to be rather heavy for its size. He unwound several folds of old cloth and held up a small shirt of mail. It was close woven of many rings, as supple almost as linen, cold as ice, and harder than steel. It shone like moonlight silver and was studded with white gems. With it was a belt of pearl and crystal. It's a pretty thing, isn't it? said Bilbo, moving it in the light. And useful. It is, it is my dwarf mail that Thorin gave me. I got it back from Michael Delving before I started and packed it with my luggage. I brought all the mementos of my journey away with me, except the ring. But I did not accept, expect to use this, and I don't need it now, expect, except to look at sometimes. You hardly feel any weight when you put it on. I should look. Well, I don't think I should look right in it, said Frodo. Just what I said myself, said Bilbo. But never mind about looks. You can wear it under your outer clothes. Come on, you must share the se this secret with me. Don't tell anybody else. But I shall feel happier if I knew you were wearing it. I have a fancy it would turn even the knives of the Black Riders, he ended in a low voice. Very well, I will take it, said Frodo. Bilbo put it on him and fastened st sting upon the glittering belt and then Frodo put over the top his old weather-stained breeches, tunic, and jacket. Just a plain hobbit you look, said Bilbo, but there is more about you now than, than appears on the surface. Good luck to you. He turned away and looked out of the window, trying to hum a tune. I cannot thank you as I should, Bilbo, for this, and for all your past kindness, said Frodo. Don't try, said the old hobbit turning around and slapping him on the back. Ow, he cried. You are too hard now to slap, but there you are. Hobbits must stick together, and especially Bagginses. All I ask in return is, take as much care of yourself as you can, and bring back all the news you can, and any old songs and tales you come by. I'll do my best to finish my book before you return. I should like to write the second book, if I am spared. He broke off and turned to the window again, singing softly. I sit by the fireside and think of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies and summers that have been, of yellow flowers and gossamer and autumns that there were, with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. For still there are so many things that I have never seen, in every wood and every spring there is a different green. I sit beside the fire and think of people long ago, and people who will see a world that I shall never know. But all the while I sit and think of times there were before, I listen for returning feet and voices at the door. It was a cold, gray day near the end of December. The east wind was streaming through the bare branches of the trees and seething in the dark pines of the hill, on the hills. Ragged clouds were hurrying overhead, dark and low, as the cheerless shadows of the early evening began to fall, the company made ready to set out. They were to start at dusk, for Elrond counseled them to journey under cover of night as often as they could, until they were far from Rivendell. You should fear the many eyes of the servants of Sauron, he said. I do not doubt that news of the discomfiture of the riders has already reached him, and he will be filled with wrath. Soon now his spies on foot and wing will be abroad in the northern lands. Even on the even of the sky above you, you must be aware as you go on your way. 
The company took little gear of war, for their hope was in secrecy, not in battle. Aragorn had Andril, but no other weapon, and he went forth clad only in rusty green and brown, as a ranger of the wilderness. Boromir had a long sword, in fashion like Andril, but less of lineage, and he bore it also a shield and his war horn. Loud and clear it sounds in the valleys of the hills, he said, and then let all the foes of Gondor flee. Putting it to his lips, he blew a blast, and the echoes leapt from rock to rock, and all that heard that voice in Rivendell sprang to their feet. Slow should you be to wind that, wind, wind that horn again, Boromir, said Elrond, until you stand once more on the borders of your land, and dire need is on you. Maybe, said Boromir, but always I have let my horn cry at setting forth, and there and though thereafter we may walk in the shadows, I will not go forth as a thief in the night. Gimli the dwarf alone wore openly a short shirt of steel rings, for dwarves make light of burdens, and in his belt was a broad-bladed axe. Legolas had a bow and a quiver, and at his belt a long white knife. The younger hobbits wore the swords that they had taken from the barrow. But Frodo took only Sting, and his Melko, as Bilbo wished, remained hidden. Gandalf bore his staff, but girt at his side was the elven sword Glamdring, the, ma the mate of Orsurist, that lay now upon the breast of Thorin under the lonely mountain. All were well furnished by Elrond with thick warm clothes, and they had jackets and cloaks lined with fur. Spare food and clothes and blankets and other needs were laden on a pony, none other than the poor beast that they had brought from Bree. The stay in Rivendell had worked a great wonder of change on him. He was glossy and seemed to have the vigor of youth. It was Sam who had insisted on choosing him, declaring that Bill, as he called him, would pine if he did not come. That animal can nearly talk, he said, and would talk if he stayed here much longer. He gave me a look as plain as Mr. Pippin could speak it. If you don't let me go with you, Sam, I'll follow you on my own. So Bill was going as the beast of burden, yet he was the only member of the company that did not seem depressed. Their farewells had been said in the great hall by the fire, and they were only waiting now for Gandalf, who had not yet come out of the house. A gleam of firelight came from the open doors, and soft lights were glowing in many windows. Bilbo huddled, and a cloak stood silent on the doorstep beside Frodo. Aragorn sat with his head bowed to his knees. Only Elrond knew fully what this hour meant to him. The others could be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. Sam was standing by the pony, sucking his teeth and staring moodily into the gloom where the river roared stonily below. His desire for adventure was at its lowest ebb. Bill, my lad, he said. You want to have took up with us. You could have stayed here and at the best hay till the new grass comes. Bill swished his tail and said nothing. Sam eased the pack on his shoulders and went over anxiously in his mind all the things that he had stolen it, wondering if he had forgotten anything. His chief treasure, his cooking gear, and the little box of salt that he always carried and refilled when he could. A good supply of pipeweed, but not near enough, I'll warrant. Flint and tinder, woolen hose, linen, various small belongings of his masters that Frodo had forgotten and Sam had still to bring them out in triumph when they were called for. 
He went through them all. Rope, he muttered. No rope. And only last night you said to yourself, Sam, what about a bit of rope? You'll want it if you haven't got it. Well, I want it. I can get. I can't get it now. At that moment, Elrond came out with Gandalf, and he called the company to him. This is my last word, he said in a low voice. The ring bearer is setting out on the quest of Mountain Doom. On him alone is any charge laid, neither to cast away the ring, nor to deliver it to any servant of the enemy, nor indeed to let any handle it, save members of the company and the council, and only then in gravest need. The others go with him as free companions to help him on his way. You may tarry or come back, or turn aside into other paths as chance allows. The further you go, the less easy will it to will it be to withdraw. Yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will. For you do not yet know the strength of your hearts, and you cannot foresee what each may meet upon the road. Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens, said Gimli. Maybe, said Elrond, but let him not vow to walk in the dark, who has not seen the nightfall. Yet sworn word may strengthen quaking heart, quaking heart, said Gimli, or break it, said Elrond. Look not too far ahead, but go now with good hearts. Farewell, and may the blessing of elves and men and all free folk go with you. May the stars shine upon your faces. Good Good luck, cried Frodo, cried Bilbo, sorry, stuttering with the cold. I don't suppose you will be able to keep a diary, Frodo, my lad, but I shall expect a full account when you get back. It don't be too long. Farewell. Many others of Elrond's house stood in the shadows and watched them go, bidding them farewell with soft voices. There was no laughter and no song or music. At last they turned away and faded silently into the dusk. They crossed the bridge and wound slowly up the long, steep paths and led out of the cloven vale of Rivendell, and they came at length to the high moor where the wind hissed through the heather. Then, with one glance at the last homely house twinkling below them, they strode away into the night. At the fort of Bruinen, they left the road and, turn, turning southwards, went on by narrow paths among the folded lands. Their purpose was to hold this course west of the mountains for many miles and days. The country was much rougher and more barren than in the green vale of the great river in Wilderland. On the other hand of the range, and their going would be slow, but they hoped in this way to escape the notice of unfriendly eyes. The spies of Sauron had hitherto seldom had been seen in this empty country, and the paths were little known except to the people of Rivendell. Gandalf walked in front, and went, and with him went Aragorn, who knew this land even in the dark. The others were in file behind him, and Legolas, whose eyes were keen, was the rear guard. The first part of their journey was hard and dreary, and Frodo rem remembered little of it, save the wind. For many sunless days, an icy blast came from the mountains in the east, and no garment seemed to be able to keep out its searching fingers. Through the company was well clad, they seldom felt warm, either moving or at rest. They slept uneasily during the middle of the day in some hollow of the land, or hidden under the tangled thorn bushes that grew in thickets in many places. In the late afternoon, they were roused by the watch and took their chief meal, cold and cold and cheerless as a rule, 
where they could seldom miss the lighting of the fire. In the evening they went on again, always as nearly southward as they could find a way. At first it seemed to the hobbits that although they walked and stumbled until they were weary, they were creeping forward like snails and getting nowhere. Each day the land looked much the same as it had the day before. Yet steadily the mountains were drawing nearer. South of Rivendell they rose even higher and bent westwards. In about the feet of the main range there was tum tumbled an ever, ever wider land of bleak hills and deep valleys filled with turbulent waters. Paths were few and winding and led them often only to the edge of some sheer fall or down to treacherous swamps. They had been a fortnight on the way when the weather changed. The wind suddenly fell and then veered round to the south. The swift flowing clouds lifted and melted away and the sun came out, pale and bright. There came a cold, clear dawn at the end of a long, stumbling night march. The travelers reached a low ridge crowned with ancient holy trees whose green, gray-green trunks seemed to have been built out of the very stone of the hills. Their dark leaves shone and their berries glowed red in the light of the rising sun. Away in the south, Frodo could see the dim shapes of lofty mountains that seemed now to stand across the path that the company was taking. At the left of this high range rose three peaks. The tallest and nearest stood up like a tooth tipped with snow. Its great bare northern precipice was still largely in the shadow, but where the sunlight slanted upon it, it glowed red. But where the sunlight slanted upon it, it glowed red. Gandalf stood at Frodo's side and looked out under his hand. We have done well, he said. We have reached the borders of the country that men called Holland. Many elves lived here in happier days when Eridion was, it, was its name. Five and forty leagues as the crow flies we have come. Though many long miles further our feet have walked. The land and the weather will be milder now, but perhaps all more dangerous. <clears throat> dangerous or not, a real sunrise is mighty welcome, said Frodo, throwing back his hood and letting the morning light fall on his face. But the mountains are ahead of, ahead of us, said Pippin. We must have turned eastwards in the night. No, said Gandalf, but you see further ahead in the clear light. Beyond those peaks, the range bends round southwest. There are many maps in Elrond's house, but I suppose you never thought to look at them. Yes, I did, sometimes, said Pippin, but I don't remember them. Frodo has a better head for that sort of thing. I need no maps, said Gimli, who had come up with Legolas, and was gazing out before him with a strange light in his deep eyes. There is the land where our fathers worked of old, and we have wrought the land and and we have wrought the image of those mountains into many works of mental and of stone, and into many songs and tales. They stand tall in our dreams, whereas Zerak Sathor. Only once before I have seen them afar in this waking life, but I know them and their names, for under them lies the Khazad-dûm, the Dwarodwelf, that is now Delf, that is now called the Black Pit. Moria and the Elvish Tongue. Yonder stands Barazinbar, the Red Horn, cruel Carrot Harass. And beyond him are Silver Time and Cloudy Head, Celebdil the White, and 
find hole the grave that we call Xerix Ziggo and Boonhistathorn. There the misty mountains divide, and between them, and between their arms lies the deep shadowed valley which we cannot forget, as in Lubizar, the Dimro Dale, which the elves call Nantuhirion. It is for the Dimro Dale that we are making, said Gandalf. It, if we climb the pass that is called the Redhorn Gate, under the far side of Carateras, we we shall come down the dimmer stair into the deep vale of the dwarves. There lies the Miromer, and there the river Silverload rises in its icy springs. Dark is the water of Kelad Zaram, said Gimli, and cold are the springs of Kibble Nala. The harp trembles at the dot that I may see them soon. May you have joy of the sight, my good dwarf, said Gandalf, but whatever you may do, we at least cannot stay in that valley. We must go down the silver load into the secret woods, and so to the great river, and then he paused. Yes, and where then, said Mary, to the end of the journey. In the end, said Gandalf, we cannot look too far ahead. Let us be glad that this first stage is safely over. I think we will rest here. Not only today, but tonight as well. There is a wholesome air about Holland. Much evil must befall the country before it wholly forgets the elves, if once they dwelt there. That is true, said Legolas, but the elves of this land were of a race strange to us, of the sylvan folk, and the trees and the grass do not now remember them. Only I hear the stones lament them. Deep they delved us, fair they wrought us, high they builded us, but they are gone. They are gone. They sought the heavens, havens long ago. That morning they lit a fire deep in a deep hollow shrouded by great bushes of holly, and their supper breakfast was merrier than it had been since they set out. They did not hurry to bed afterwards, for they expected to have all the night to sleep in, and they did not mean to go on again until the evening of the next day. Only Aragorn was silent and restless. After a while, he left the company and wandered on the, onto the ridge. There he stood in the shadow of a tree, looking out southwards and westwards, with his head posed as he was listening. Then he returned to the brink of the dell and looked down at the others laughing and, and talking. "'What is the matter, Strider?' Mary called up. "'What are you looking for? Do you miss the east wind?' "'No, indeed,' he answered. "'But I miss something. I have been in the country of Holland in many seasons.' No folk dwell here now, but many other creatures live here at all times, especially birds. Yet now all things but you are silent. I can feel it. There is no sound for miles about us, and your voices seem to make the ground echo. I do not understand it. Gandalf looked up with sudden interest. What do you guess is the reason? he asked. Is there more in it than surprise at seeing four hobbits, not to mention the rest of us, where people are so seldom seen or heard? I hope that is that is it, answered Aragorn, but I have a sense of watchfulness and of fear that I have never had here before. Then we must be more careful, said Gandalf. If you bring a ranger with you, it is well to pay attention to him, especially if the ranger is Aragorn. We must stop talking aloud, rest quietly, and set the watch. It was Sam's turn that day to take the first watch, but Aragorn joined him. The others fell asleep. Then the silence grew until even Sam felt it. The breathing of the sleepers could be plainly heard. 
The swish of the pony's tail and the occasional movements of his feet became loud noises. Sam could hear his own joints cracking, creaking if he stirred. Dead silence was around him. On and all and overall hung a clear blue sky as the sun rode up from the east. Away in the south a dark patch appeared and grew and drove north like flying smoke in the wind. What is that? What's that, Strider? It don't look like a cloud, said Sam, and I whispered to Aragorn. He made no answer. He was gazing intently at the sky. But before long, Sam could see for himself what was approaching. Flocks of birds, flying at great speed, were wheeling and circling and traversing all the land as if they were searching for something, and they were steadily drawing near. Lie flat and still, hissed Aragorn, pulling Sam down into the shade of a holly bush for a whole regiment of birds had broken away suddenly from the main host and came, flying low, straight towards the ridge. Sam thought they were a kind of crow of a large size, as they passed overhead in so dense a throng that their shadow followed them darkly over the ground below. One harsh croak was heard. Not until they had dwindled in the distance, north and west, and the sky was again clear, would Aragorn rise. Then he sprang up and went and wakened Gandalf. Regiments of black clothes are flying over all the land between the mountains and the Grey Flood, he said, and they have passed over Holland. They are not natives here. They are Serebane, out of, out of Fang, Fangorn and Dunland. I do not know what they are about. Possibly there is some trouble away south from which they are fleeing, but I think they are spying out the land. I have also glimpsed many hawks flying high up in the sky. I think we ought to move again this evening. Holland is no longer wholesome for us. It is being watched. And in that case, so is the Red Horn Gate, said Gandalf. And how we can get over that without being seen, I cannot imagine. But we will think of that when we must. As for moving, as soon as it is dark, I am afraid that you are right. Luckily, our fire little smoke and had burned low before the Serbane came, said Aragorn. It must be put out and not lit again. Well, if that isn't a plague and a nuisance, said Pippin, the news, no fire, and a move again by night had been broken to him as soon as he woke in the late afternoon, all because of a pack of crows. I had looked forward to a real good meal tonight, something hot. Well, you can go on looking forward, said Gandalf. There may be many unexpected feasts ahead of you. For myself, I should like a pipe to smoke in comfort and warmer feet. However, we are certain of one thing at any rate. It will get warmer as we go south. Too warm, I shouldn't wonder, muttered Sam to Frodo. But I'm beginning to think it's time we got a sight of that fiery mountain. We saw the end of the road, so to speak. I thought at first that this here red horn, or whatever its name is, might be it, till Gimli spoke his piece. A fair jawcracker dwarf language must be. Maps conveyed nothing to Sam's mind, and all distances in this strange land seemed so vast that he was quite out of his reckoning. All that day the company remained in hiding. The dark bids passed over now and again, but as the westering sun grew red, they disappeared southwards. At dusk the company set out, and turning now half east, they steered up their course towards Caradras, which far away still glowed faintly red in the last light of the vanished sun. One by one, white stars sprang forth as the sky faded. Guided by Aragorn, they struck a good path. It looked to Frodo like the remains of an ancient road that had been, once been broad and well-planned from Holland to the mountain pass. 
The moon, now at the full, rose over the mountains and cast a pale light in, the, in which the shadows of stones were black. Many of them looked to have been worked by hand, though now they lay tumbled and ruinous in a bleak, barren land. It was the cold, chill hour before the first stir of dawn, and the moon was low. Frodo looked up at the sky. Suddenly he saw or felt a shadow pass over the high stars, as if for a moment they faded and then flashed out again. He shivered. Did you see anything pass over? He whispered to Gandalf, who was just ahead. No, but I felt it, whatever it was, he answered. It may be nothing, only a wisp of thin cloud. It was moving fast then, muttered Aragorn, and not with the wind. Nothing further happened that night. The next morning dawned even brighter than before, but the air was chill again. Already the wind was turning back towards the east. For two more nights they marched on, climbing steadily but ever more slowly as their road wound up onto the hills and their mountains towered up nearer and nearer. On the third morning, Cardras rose before them, a mighty peak tipped with snow like silver, but the sheer naked sides dull red as if stained with blood. There was a black look in the sky, and the sun was waning. One, the wind had gone now round to the northeast. Gandalf snuffed the air and looked back. Winter deepens behind us, he said quietly to Aragorn. The heights away north are wider than they were. Snow is lying far down their shoulders. Tonight we shall be on our, be on our high, our way high up towards the Redhorn Gate. We may well be seen by watchers on that narrow path, and waylaid by some evil. But the weather may prove a more deadly enemy than any. What do you think of your course now, Aragorn? Frodo overheard these words and understood that Gandalf and Aragorn were continuing some debate that had begun long before. He listened anxiously. I think no good of our course from beginning to end, as you know well, Gandalf, answered Aragorn. And perils known and unknown will grow as we go on. We must go on, and it is no good for our delaying the passage of the, of the mountains. Further south there are no passes, till one comes to the gap of Rohan. I do not trust that way since your news of Saruman. Who knows which side the marshals of the horse lords serve? Who knows indeed, said Gandalf. But there is another way, and not by the pass of Cardras, the dark and secret way that we have spoken of. But let us not speak of it again. Not yet. Say nothing to the others, I beg, not until it is plain that there is no other way. We must decide before we go further, answered Gandalf. Then let us weigh the matter in our minds while the others rest and sleep, said Aragorn. In the late afternoon, while the others were finishing their bre breakfast, Gandalf and Aragorn went aside together and stood looking at Caradras. Its sides were now dark and sullen, and its head was in gray cloud. Frodo watched them, wondering which way the debate would go. When they returned to the company, Gandalf spoke, and then he knew that it had been decided to face the weather and the high pass. He was relieved. He could not guess what was the other dark and secret way, but the very mention of it had seemed to fill Aragorn with dismay, and Frodo was glad that it had been abandoned. From signs that we have seen lately, said Gandalf, I fear that the Redhorn Gate may be watched, and also... I have doubts of the weather that is coming up behind. Snow may come. We must go with all the speed that we can. Even so, it will take us more than two marches before we reach the top of the pass. Dark will come early this evening. You must leave as soon as you can get ready. I will add a word of advice, if I may, said Boromir. 
I was born under the shadow of the white mountains and know something of journeys in the high places. We shall meet bitter cold, if no worse, before we come down on the other side. It will not help us to keep no so secret that we are frozen to death. When we leave here, where there are still a few trees and bushes, each of us should carry a bundle of sticks or of wood, as large as he can bear. And Bill could take a bit more, couldn't you, lad? said Sam. The pony looked at him mournfully. Very well, said Gandalf. But we must not use the wood, not unless it is a choice between fire and death. The company set out again, with good speed at first, but soon their way became steep and difficult. The twisting and climbing road had in many places almost disappeared, and was blocked with many fallen stones. The night grew deadly dark with under great clouds. A bitter wind swirled among the rocks. By midnight they had climbed to the knees of the great mountains. The narrow path now wound under a sheer wall of cliffs to the left, above which the grim flanks of the Karajas showered up invisible in the gloom. On the right was a gulf of darkness where the land fell suddenly into a deep ravine. Laboriously they climbed a sharp slope and halted for a moment at the top. Frodo felt a soft touch on his face. He put his arm out and saw and saw the dim white flakes of snow settling on his sleeve. They went on, but before long the snow was falling fast, filling all the air and, and swirling in Frodo's eyes. The dark bent shapes of Gandalf and Aragorn, only a pace or two ahead, could hardly be seen. I don't like this at all, muttered Sam, panted Sam just behind. Snow's all right on a fine morning, but I like to be in bed while it's falling. I wish this lot would go off to Hobbiton. Folk might welcome it there. Except on the high moors of the North Farthing, a heavy fall was rare in the Shire, and was regarded as a pleasant event and a chance for fun. No living hobbit, save Bilbo, could remember the fell winter of 1311, when white wolves invaded the Shire over the frozen brandywine. Gandalf halted. Snow was thick on his hood and shoulders. It was already ankle-deep about his boots. This is what I feared, he said. What do you say now, or, or, Aragorn? That I feared it too, Aragorn answered. But less than other things. I knew the risk of snow, though it seldom falls heavily so far south, save high up the mountains. But we are not high yet. We are still far down, where the paths are usually open all the winter. I wonder if this is a contrivance of the enemy, said Boromir. They say in my land that he can govern the storms in the mountains of shadow that stand upon the borders of Mordor. He has strange powers and many allies. His arm has grown long indeed, said Gimli. If he can draw snow down from the north to trouble us here three hundred leagues away. His arm has grown long, said Gandalf. While they were halted, the wind died down, and the snow slackened until almost ceased. They tramped on again, but they had not gone more than a furlong when the storm returned with fresh fury. The wind whistled and the snow became a blinding blizzard. Soon even Boromir found it hard to keep going. The hobbits, bent nearly double, toiled along behind the taller folk, but it was plain that they could not go much further if the snow continued. Frodo's feet felt like lead. Pippin was dragging behind. Even Gimli, as stout as any dwarf could be, was grumbling as he trudged. The company halted suddenly, as if they had come to an agreement without any words being spoken. They heard eerie noises in the darkness round them. 
It may be only a trick of the wind in the, in the cracks and gullies of the rocky wall, but the sounds were those of shrill cries and wild howls of laughter. Stones began to fall from the mountainside, whistling over their heads or crashing on the path beside them. Every now and again they heard a dull rumble as a great boulder rolled down from the hidden heights above. We cannot go further tonight, said Boromir. Let those call it the wind who will. There are fell voices on the air, and these stones are aimed at us. I do call it the wind, said Aragorn, but that does not make what you say untrue. There, will, there are many evil and unfriendly things in the world that have little love for those that go on two legs, and yet are and yet are not in league with Sauron, but have purposes of their own. Some have been in this world longer than he. Caradhras was called the Cruel and had an ill name, said Gimli, long years ago when rumor of Sauron had not been heard in these lands. It matters little who is the enemy if we cannot beat off this attack, said Gandalf. What can we do? cried Pippin miserably. He was leaning on Merry and Frodo and he was shivering. Either stop where we are or go back, said Gandalf. It is no good going on, only a little higher, if I remember rightly. This path leaves the cliff, cliff and runs only a wide, shallow trough at the bottom of a long, hard slope. We should have no shelter there from the snow, or stones, or anything else. And it is no good to good going back while the storm holds at Aragorn. We have passed no place on the way up that offered more shelter than this cliff while we are under now. Shelter, muttered Sam. If this is shelter, then wall, wall, and no roof make a house. The company, the company now gathered together as close to the cliff as they could. It faced southwards, and near the bottom, it leaned out a little, so they hoped, so that they hoped it would give them some protection from the northern northerly wind and from falling the falling stones, but eddying blasts whirled round them from every side, and the snow flowed down in ever denser clouds. They huddled together with their backs to the wall. Bill the pony stood patiently but dejectedly in front of the hobbits and screened them a little, but before long the drifting snow was above his hocks and it went on mounting. If they had no longer companions, the hobbits would soon have been entirely if they had no larger companions, the hobbits would soon have been entirely buried. A great sleepiness came over Frodo. He felt himself sinking fast into a warm and hazy dream. He thought a fire was heating his toes, and out of the shadows on the other side of the hearth, he heard Bilbo's voice speaking. I don't think much of your diary, he said. Snowstorms on January the 12th? There is no need to come back to report that. But I wanted rest and sleep, Bilbo, Frodo answered with an effort when he felt himself shaken. He came painfully to wakefulness. Boromir had lifted him off the ground of out of a nest of snow. This will be the death of the halflings, Gandalf, said Boromir. It is useless to sit here until the snow goes over our heads. We must do something to save ourselves. Give them this, said Gandalf, searching in his pack and drawing out a leathern flask. Just a mouthful each for all of us. It is very precious. It is Miravor, the corridor of Emlodris. Elrond gave it to me out of parting. Pass it round. As soon as Frodo had swallowed a little of the warm and fragrant liquor, he felt a new strength of heart, and the heavy drowsiness fell. Fell left, and the heavy drowsiness left his limbs. 
The others also revived and found fresh hope and vigor. But the snow did not relent. A world about them thicker than ever, and the wind blew louder. What do you say to fire? said Boromir suddenly. The choice seems now between fire and death, Ga death Gandalf. Doubtless we shall be hidden from all unfriendly eyes when the snow has covered us, but that will not help us. You can make a fire if you can, answered Gandalf. If there are any watchers that can endure the storm, then they can see us, fire or no. But though they had brought wooden kindlings by the advice of Boromir, it passed the skill of Elf or even Dorf to strike a flame that would hold amid the swirling wind or, or catch in the wet fuel. At last, reluctantly, Gandalf himself took a hand. Picking up a stick, he held it aloft for a moment, and then, with, with a word of command, nor and, and breath and men, he thrust at the end of his staff into the midst of it. At once a great spot of green and blue flame sprang out, and the wood flared and sputtered. If there are any to see, then I at least am revealed to them, he said. Ivor and Gandalf is here, and signs that all can read from Rivendell to the mouths of Anduin. But the company cared no longer for watchers or unfriendly eyes. Their hearts were rejoiced to see the light of fire. The wood burned merrily, and though all round it the snow hissed, and pools of slush crap crept under their feet, they warmed their hands gladly at the blaze. There they stood, stooping in a circle, round the little dancing and blowing flames. A red light was on their tired and anxious, anxious faces. Behind them the night was like a black wall, but the wood was burning fast, and the snow still fell. The fire burned low, and the last stick was thrown on. The night is getting old, said Aragorn. The dawn is not far off. If any dawn can pierce these clouds, said Gimli. Boromir stepped out of the circle and stared up into the blackness. The snow is growing less, he said, and the wind is quieter. Frodo gazed wearily at the flasks, flakes, still falling out of the dark uh, to be revealed white for a moment in the light of the dying fire. Before a long time, he could see no sign of their slackening. Then suddenly... As sleep was beginning to creep over him again, he was aware that the wind had indeed fallen, and the flakes were becoming larger and fewer. Very slowly, a dim light began to grow. At last, the snow stopped altogether. As the light grew stronger, it showed a silent, shrouded world. Below the refuge were white humps and domes, and shapeless deeps beneath which the path that, that they had trodden was altogether lost, but the heights above were hidden in great clouds still heavy with the great the threat of snow. Gimli looked up and shook his head. Caradras has not forgiven us, he said. He has more snow yet to fling at us if we go on. The sooner we go back and down, the better. To this all agreed, but the retreat was not difficult. It might well prove impossible. Only a few place paces from the ashes of their fire, the snow lay many feet deep, higher than the head of the hobbits, in places that had been scooped and piled up piled by the wind into great drifts against the cliff. If Gandalf would go before us with a bright flame, he might melt a path for you, said Legolas. The storm had troubled him little, and he alone of the company remained still light of heart. If elves could fly over mountains, they might fetch the sun to save us, answered Gandalf. But I must have something to work on. I cannot burn snow. Well, said Boromir, when heads are at a loss, bodies must serve, as we say in my country. The strongest of us must seek away. See, though all is now snow-clad, our path as we came up 
turned about that shoulder of rock down yonder if there that the snow first began to burden us if we could reach that point maybe it would prove easier beyond it is no more than a furlong off i guess then let us force a path thither you and i said aragorn aragorn was the tallest of the company but boromir little less in height was broader and heavier in build he led the way and aragorn followed slowly they moved off and soon were toiling heavily in places the snow was breast high and often boromir seemed to be swimming or burrowing burrowing with his great arms rather than walking legolas watched them for a while with a smile upon his lips and then he turned to the others the strongest must seek away say you but i say let a ploughman plough but choose an otter for swimming and for running light over grass and leaf or over snow an elf with that he sprang forth nimbly and then frodo noticed as if for the first time though he had long known it that the elf had no boots but wore only light shoes as he always did and his feet made little imprint in the snow farewell he said to gandalf i go to find the sun then swift as a runner over firm sand he shot away and quickly overtaking the toiling men with a wave on his hand he passed them and sped into the distance and vanished round the rocky turn the others waited huddled together watching until boromir and argon dwindled into black specks in the whiteness at the length they too passed from sight the time dragged on the clouds lowered and now a few flakes of snow came curling down again an hour maybe went by though it seemed far longer and then at last they saw legolas coming back at the same time boromir and argon reappeared round the bend far behind him and came laboring up the slope well cried legolas as he ran up i have not brought the sun she is walking in the blue fields of the south and a little wreath of snow on this red horn hillock troubles her not at all but i have brought back a gleam of good hope for those who are doomed to go on feet this is the greatest wind drift of all just beyond the turn and there are strong men were almost were almost buried they despaired until i returned and told them that drift was little wider than a wall and on the other side the snow suddenly grows less while further down it is no more than a white coverlet to a cool hobbit's toes ah it is as i said growled gimli it is no ordinary storm it is the ill wind of caradras he does not love elves indoors and the drift was laid to cut off our escape but happily your caradras has forgotten that you have men with you said boromir who came upon at that moment and doughty men too if i may say it though lesser men with spades might have served you better still we have thrust a lane through the drift and far that all that all here may be grateful who cannot run as light as elves but how are we to get down there even if you cut through the drift said pippin voicing through voicing the thought of all the hobbits have hope said boromir i am weary but i have some strength left and argorn too we will bear the little folk the others no doubt will make shift to tread the path behind us come master peregrine i will begin with you he lifted up the hobbit cling to my back i shall need my arms he said and strode forward aragorn and mary came behind pippin marveled at his strength seeing the passage that he had already forced with no order to other tools than his great limbs even now burdened as he was he was widening the track for those who followed thrusting the snow aside as he went they came at length to the great drift it was flung across the mountain path like a sheer 
and sudden wall, and its crest sharp as if shaped with knives, reared up more than twice the height of Boromir, but through the middle of a, pa a passage had been beaten, rising and falling like a bridge. On the far side, Merry and Pippin were set down, and they waited while Legolas from the, for the rest of the company to arrive. After a while, Boromir returned carrying Sam. Behind in the narrow but now well-trodden track came Gandalf, leading Bill with Gimli perched among the baggage. Last came Aragorn, carrying Frodo. They passed through the lane, but hardly had Frodo touched the ground when, when with a deep rumble, there rolled down a fall of stones and slithering snow. The spray of it half-blinded the company as they crouched against the cliff, and when the air cleared again, they saw the path that was blocked behind them. Enough, enough, cried Gimli. We are departing as quickly as we may. And indeed, with that last stroke of malice of the mountain seemed to be expected, as if Gahardras was satisfied that the invaders had been beaten off and would not dare to return. The threat of snow lifted. The clouds began to break, and the light grew broader. As Legolas had reported, they found that the snow became steadily more shallow as they went down, so that even the hobbits could trudge along. Soon they all stood once more on the flat shelf at the head of the steep slope where they had felt the first flakes of snow the night before. The morning was now far advanced. From the high place they looked back westwards over the lower lands. Far away in the tumble of the country that lay at the foot of the mountain was the dell from which they had started to climb the pass. Frodo's legs ached. He was chilled to the bone and hungry, and his head was dizzy as he thought of the long and painful march downhill. Black specks swam before his eyes. He rubbed them, but the black specks remained. In the distance below him, but still high above the lower foothills, dark dots were circling in the air. The birds again, said Aragorn, pointing down. They cannot be helped now, said Gandalf. Whether they are good or evil, or have nothing to do with us at all, we must go down at once. Not even on the knees of the carriages will we wait for another nightfall. The cold wind flowed down behind them as they turned their backs on the Red Horn Gate and stumbled wearily down the slope. Carajas had defeated them.